Never know how loud these are going to be. Sorry about my kids there at the end of the special music. Best day ever. <clears throat> All right, turn to 1 John chapter 2. It's also going to be on the board for your reference. Okay, so if you guys that were here a couple weeks ago when Rick did the message, he named his uh, four chairs, and I was going to name mine five chairs just to one-up him, but I decided not to. I decided to name it First John chapter 2, verses 28 through 29. Very creative, I know. All right, so I'm going to read this real quick, and then we will pray. It says, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Let's pray. Um, Father, we thank you for your word, for who you are, God. Um, we want to grow closer to you in this time. Uh, we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the author of this book and um, you dwell inside of every person that knows you and loves you and has come to you through Jesus. And we ask that you open up your word to us this morning so that we would become more like Jesus. Amen. Okay, so let's see if I can get this to work. Hey. All right. <clears throat> so we're going to go through this. And it starts, and now, which might seem like filler, but it's not. Um, there's no empty calories in the Bible. There's no um, words that are not there for a reason. Jesus said that every single word, every single um, punctuation mark was there for a reason, and he would um, make it uh, last, and he, there's something there for us. So what this is, is it's a, um, it's a transition statement, which basically means that there's a lot of these in these New Testament letters um, that uh, They'll say, and now, therefore, since, um, and it's basically linking these two thoughts. So it's, it's linking what came before to what is getting ready to be said, which means that they shouldn't be um, separated. And um, what we need to realize that the Bible um, tells us in Revelation chapter 21, it says that it describes heaven as one massive city, right, made entirely out of precious stones. And I think that we should think of the Bible the same way, because every single piece of it, every single brick of it um, is valuable and is precious and is something that is worth, um, you know, being held up to the light and being put under the microscope and studying and really digging into. Um, but that's not the ultimate way it's meant to be digested. It's part of this, this, this bigger structure, right? The, the Bible um, is one single message, and we can't, um, we see throughout history that people run into major troubles and um, deceive themselves and others when you take a single piece of, of God's word and, and separate it. So it's important for us to um, realize that these are things that are built on um, what came before it, and, and it builds on and supports what comes after it. So the, the context here is that, um, or two things, it talks about um, do not love the world or the things of this world, um, because they're passing away, and they're not of God if we dedicate our lives to them. Um, the second thing earlier in the chapter is, is to do not be deceived by um, 
false teaching and those that are falling away, people that turn away from God and think that they have something different, something better. Um, Instead, it's going to talk about what we should do instead of loving the world and instead of being deceived. It says, and now little children. So the immediate um, audience here of these words was was John the apostle um, speaking to kind of his, his pupils. And I think there's some there's some value in realizing that and, and considering that because John, if you think about it, um, he was Jesus's best friend. So there's definitely things that we can learn from his life. Um, and we can see this in kind of a, like a mentor-student kind of a context. And it's important to realize that. Um, and it's definitely important and we should seek as we um, come to know God more that we would... Um, pull people into our lives and try and encourage them to grow closer to God and kind of help them along the way. But really the the ultimate audience here is God speaking to his people. Um, It's a a father-child context here. So that's that's the way I think um, it's good for us to think about it right now. And so what it does not say, right? It does not say, and now you big shot you. Um, it does not say, and now you wise, learned, intellectual, um, you really mature guy. It does not say, and now um, you very talented, gifted person that I really need or I can't get anything done. Um, it doesn't say that, right? It says, and now little children, um, small, right? Vulnerable, helpless, um, dust. But um, when God speaks to us here, um, it's, not a ter- it's not in disdain. Um, he's not, it's not that he's looking down on us. It, it's actually a term of, of affection. Um, and now my little children, because those of us that have come to him, we are, are his children. We're the child of the king, the one that he bought out of slavery. We have been adopted by him. He chose us and he sought us out and he's speaking to us and he thinks of us that way that we can come before the king of the universe and we're his little children. And now little children abide in him. So this is not a word that I use very often in my vocabulary. Maybe uh, you are better than me in that way. Um, But abide, it's speaking of um, to stay with, to remain, to cling to, I think a good way to think of this is um, that we have to cling to Jesus like someone um, out in the open ocean would cling to a life preserver. And it speaks here of it being a continual thing. You never see someone that's in a situation like that in the open ocean saying, well, you know, I'm going to let go of this life preserver just for the night or just for a few days, or just until I'm older, or I'm really busy right now, I don't have time to cling on to this life preserver. Or even, um, you know, I have this life preserver and I'm clinging to it. It's a good life preserver, but um, you know, things just aren't going great. Um, Life hasn't been perfect. And even though I have this life preserver, times have been tough. And look, I'm out here in the open ocean, right? Um, So I'm gonna let go of this life preserver because my life is not perfect. Um, but I can assure you, um, when putting that in the context of, of clinging to Jesus, 
your life will be so much worse off if you stop clinging to him and if you stop abiding in him. Um, John chapter 15, one of uh, Jesus's more well-known um, teachings, he says, you know, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So there's two really important reasons that we need to abide in, in Jesus. And one is, like we said, that he is, our, he is our life source, right? He's our lifeline. He's the only one that gives us hope. He's our only hope. He's the only way that we can get um, where God desires for us to be. He's the only one that can, can get us through this life. And without him, um, there is no hope. Apart from him, we can do nothing, right? Um, he is also our, our power source. Um, apart from me, you can do nothing. When I grew up, I grew up when home video game systems first were coming out, and it was a big deal for me. It was a massive part of my childhood. Um, but I was still young when kind of the original ones came out, and my older family members had, uh, you know, Nintendos and Super Nintendos, and I really desperately wanted to play. So what they did was they would hand me a controller, and they'd say, you're this guy right here. But the controller wouldn't be plugged in, right? I, I'm guessing I'm not the only person that this happened to when I was growing up. Um, and I was enjoying myself, and I thought I was doing an awesome job. They always pointed to the person that was doing the best at the game, and I was that person. Um, but I wasn't actually accomplishing anything, right? I thought I was. And um, it's the same thing if we're not plugged into Jesus, if we're not abiding in him. Again, this is something that's supposed to be continual. Um, we might really think we're doing a lot of important things. We might really think we're accomplishing a lot. Um, we might really be working hard, but if it's not done through Jesus, he says it's nothing. It's, it doesn't hold up. It doesn't last. Um, so we have to realize how crucial it is that we, we abide in him. And now my little children abide in him so that when he appears, so what's amazing about this is it says when, right? This is a certain fact that Jesus is going to appear, that he is going to come back. It's something that we can stake our lives on, that we can rely on wholly. It's something that we can put our full hope in because it is a certain fact because um, God knows the future, right? God knows the end of the story and God knows what's going to happen. And so we can trust in him because he's never failed us and he never is wrong. Um, it says when he appears and it's good to think about what will that be like? What will that be like when he appears? It's something that we should daydream about, right? Um, when our mind wanders, it should wander to, to things like this. When he appears, what is it going to be like? It says in, God, it says in um, Philippians, he says, you know, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent, think about these things. And I can't think of anything that is more true and more lovely and more excellent than the fact, the known fact, certain fact that Jesus is going to come back. He is going to appear. And I hope you believe that. So that when he appears, we may have confidence. In Revelation chapter 20 and several other places in the Bible, it talks about this coming judgment day for every single man. He says, we're all going to be there. 
and it speaks of two sets of books that are going to be opened. And these are basically the accounts of our lives that have to be settled, okay? And the first of them is called the Book of Life. Um, It's also called the Lamb's Book of Life. And this is basically the settling of our sin debt, right? Um, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every person finds themselves in the same position from birth that they are born sinful. And because of that, they have this sin debt that needs to be paid. There's two ways to pay it. Just like when you go to a grocery store, you have your cash or credit option. There's two ways to pay this sin debt. One is through your life. The wages of sin is death. So we have that option. Or the other is through Jesus's death because it requires death. Um, and it is our choice. And we are, each man is given that choice to allow Jesus to pay that debt by accepting his death on the cross and turning our lives over to him and allowing him to be our Lord or to choose to pay that debt ourselves, right? Because by the time, and every person makes that choice, and by the time you get to this day that it talks about, you've already made the choice, right? There, there's no option to, to change your mind. Um, but what an amazing thing that we can have confidence before the living God when he returns in power and all of his glory um, that we, if we are in this book of life, that we've come to God through Jesus, that we can have confidence before God. An amazing thing. It says that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So the fact is though, that there's two sets of books that it talks about that are opened. And I think it, a lot of people will have one of these and not the other. You can have confidence, but you can also have shame at his coming because this second set of books, it's not really named, but it's really, um, it's the, the account of our lives, our choices, our actions, our deeds, our works. And those that don't know God um, are, have consequences in varying degrees for the choices that they made. But those of us that do know God, you have the opportunity to be rewarded in um, various degrees based on um, the substance of your actions. What was your heart when you did them? What was your motivation? Were you abiding in Jesus when you did them? And in the quantity of them. Um, It talks about this in several places in the Bible. Um, And it says that this will be a test of fire. Says that in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter three. And it says that, some of these works that we do will hold up um, through this, this fire test because they were of the right substance. They were done through God's power and they were done for him and not for ourselves, not to bring glory to ourselves, not to harm someone else, um, not out of um, wrong reasons. But it says that there are, are those that um, will go through this test um, as through fire, it says. And don't get me wrong, it says, it says clearly that these people are still saved. And in the first book, if your book is in the book of life, that's the more important book because you still get to go to heaven. You still have Jesus. But there are people that will have lived their whole life knowing Jesus and come to God's throne and have nothing to show for it. You can have been a Christian for 80 years and it, stand before God 
and have empty hands to offer of what you have done with it. Jesus has died for us. He, is, he, is, he came out of heaven, went to the earth, died on a cross, and he gave his best for us. And there are those that will come to him and did not do anything in response to that. There is no one who will get to this day and will say, you know, I wish I had slept in more. I wish I had watched more TV. I wish I had eaten more. There is going to be no one that's going to say, I wish I had exercised more. No one that says, I wish I had made more money. It tells us, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says that we're all in this race, right? We're, we're running towards this incredible goal of, of being able to, to be in the presence of God, see him face to face. It says we're in this race and then we should run to win. We should go all out. Um, if you really know God, your motivation ends up being the, the more you come to know God. And I firmly believe the more you come to understand who God is, um, it's not as much of an obligation to, to do things that please him as much as something that you want to do. Um, when you really come to know God, what is your, your, your driving motivation ultimately is not that you don't want to be punished, not that you don't want to be caught, not that you don't want to have a bad reputation, but the fact that God is our father, we are his little children, and we want to make him proud. Just like every person deep down in their heart, regardless of what your relationship with your parents are, you want to make them proud. And we all have this opportunity and, and should reflect and, and be motivated by when Jesus said that we'll come to him and those of us that have done this, he'll say, well done. We should run to win this race. And I don't know, when I, when I grew up, we would have a bottle of toothpaste, okay? And you would squeeze it until it was all used up. And then you would put one of those things that would, like a kneading thing that would, that would get the rest of the toothpaste off. And then we would cut the top of the toothpaste off and we would put the toothbrush down inside of it and, and draw out whatever was, rest, was left of it. That should be a picture of our lives, that we give it all. We leave it all behind because there's, there's nothing else worth dedicating our lives and our hearts to. Um, verse 29, it says, if you know that he is righteous. And, um, you know, I think this is something that doesn't get enough of our thoughts about God. We spend a lot of time thinking about the fact, and these are facts that God is all-knowing, that he's all-powerful, that he sees everything, that he's everywhere, that he's unchanging, right? But we also need to reflect on and appreciate that he is righteous. He's good. And all of those other things don't matter if God is not good. In fact, they're terrifying, right? If God is not good, like so many of the other gods that people serve, if he's not good or if he's a little good, he's good every once in a while, and he's all powerful and he's all knowing and he's unchanging, that's not a good thing. But the God that we have the opportunity to serve, he is righteous in every way at all times forever in the past and in the future and today. 
And we need to appreciate that and, and, and worship God because he is good. He is the only good. It says that there is no one good, no, not one. There's nothing else good in all of creation. And everything that is good is because he has put good into it. And that is the God that we serve. And this is the God that we are trying to allow other people to know through our lives and our actions because everyone else is serving a God. Um, but the difference is their God is not good and their God is not the one true God and the King of Kings. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. I think we get ourselves confused sometimes and think that serving God is really complicated. And it's really not. Um, it's hard a lot of times. Um, it's challenging. It is painful sometimes, but it's not complicated because God is simply good. And if we are his little children and if we are abiding in him, what he asks of us is for us to do good, to practice righteousness. This is also a thing that's, it's a practice, right? It's a continual, not every once in a while, not once a year, um, to practice righteousness. God is, is, is simply good. And he if we have been born of him, he wants us to be good. And that is his challenge to us and his expectation to us. And, and the, again, the amazing thing is that he doesn't expect us to do this by ourselves, right? He's the one that's the power source. He's the one that gives us, it says that he is prepared before the foundation of the world, good works for us to do. He's the one that sets these up for us and he's the one that powers us to do it but he expects us to actually go and do them. And that is our challenge and our expectation of God. So I'm done. Um, and what I would ask you to do is um, in these next few moments, just take a minute and um, think first, am I in that book, that Lamb's book of life? Have I come to God through Jesus for my sins to be washed away. If you, do, if you haven't, none of this other stuff matters. That is the most important thing you can do. That's the, the only thing that you can do to have hope. So actually be honest with yourself and, and think, have you done that? If you have, think to yourself, am I abiding in him continually? Am I clung to Jesus and not letting him go and allowing him to be the power source of my life? Um, Am I making a practice of righteousness to do good? Am I running this race that is my life, the remainder of my life after I come to know him? Am I running it to win? Am I doing my best or am I running it in a way that I will have shame before him, be disappointed, have regret when I come to him? I hope that's not the case and we can all do better, but um, all we have to do is, is cling to God and he will... Um, do amazing things through our lives. So I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you um, that you are good. And um, we have no hope or opportunity or option to be good without you. Um, and we all have this sin debt, but thank you, God, that you made a way for us to pay that debt um, through the finished work of Jesus. Help each person in here um, know that, believe that, and stake their lives on that and come to you. Pray that each person here, myself including, um, 
would learn to abide, God, to cling to you, to know that without you, we can do nothing. Um, without you, we are setting ourselves up, um, even though um, we might have you as our savior, uh, we might not allow you to, to rule our, our daily lives, God. Help us to repent of that and to turn to you and to know that um, the last thing that we should um, set ourselves up for is, is shame when we see the God that loves us, God, um, stand before him. We thank you that we have the opportunity to have confidence before you, to not have shame before you, to have boldness, God, when we come to the one true living, all-powerful God of the universe, and it's through Jesus. Help each of us to um, cling to you, God, and to um, look forward to that day and arrange our lives in such a way that we will come to you in excitement and not regret and hear those words that so many of us are looking forward to when you tell us, well done, my good and faithful servant. Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.